0: You can open up your copy of the scriptures to Psalm chapter 39, and you may be able to hear to my voice, but I still have not recovered my voice from high school camp, which ended over a week ago. <laughs> Might slightly be added to it that I went to an FC Cincinnati game last night, and I have a very hard time being quiet at any sporting event. Um, but my name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here. Uh, and as you're turning there, I wanted to take a moment to thank you publicly um, For praying for us, there's some pictures going to be up on the screen from uh, from high school camp. Aaron and I, over the past couple of weeks, have we took almost almost 215 students away for our various middle school and high school camps, uh, and almost 40 volunteers. And many, many, many of you prayed for us. Um, You prayed faithfully for us. And I want to. I mean, we we saw new professions of faith. We saw students have breakthroughs in their faith. We saw students grow to love Jesus more. Um, our volunteer team was encouraged and challenged in their own faith. And uh, there's really no, nothing else that I wanna say other than thank you. Thank you for giving in such a way that allows us to do things like this. Thank you for praying um, and, and loving our students by praying with us. We had loads of fun, loads of fun, and we talked a lot about Jesus. And so, Yeah, that was loads of fun. (laughs) It's kind of hard to see that's the final picture after we're all covered in shaving cream. Uh, But we had a good time. Thank you for praying. I really, really, really appreciate all the ways that you prayed for us. Great couple of weeks in our student ministry. There's loads of stories I could tell you, but Psalm 39 is calling our name this morning. That is what we will be in uh, today. So Psalm 39, I'm going to start by reading it uh, out loud together. Well, together I'll read it to you. And uh, it's always awkward if you sit together and then everybody tries to read it, it's, it's bad news. So let me read it to you we'll pray and we'll get to work and see what the Lord might have for us this morning out of his word. Verse one starts like this. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress." Grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Oh Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made me sorry, made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that you have given to us, that instructs, that it challenges us, gives us hope and help. But I pray today that you would do great things in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, and that ultimately, Lord, you would be at work in making us more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church family. Lord, would your word run forth this morning. And do great things in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, we are in the middle of a series that is titled Psalms, Songs from a Broken Heart. We're looking at different Psalms, particularly Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. And as I've been working through this series, as I've been sitting with you guys and hearing from the Psalms, I have to tell you I'm incredibly thankful that the Lord included these Psalms in his word. There's something a little different about these Psalms. We can connect with these kinds of passages because we know what it's like to hurt. We know what it's like to suffer and to feel this sin-cursed world, we know what it's like to be overwhelmed to the point of not knowing what we should do. And it's in these moments that we often ask this question. Does my life have any meaning? Is there any purpose to what I'm going through? Psalm 39 is one of the psalms where the author David seems to be overwhelmed by what is going on in his life. We don't really know the exact circumstances. There's not enough in this text to connect it to any particular life issue or life circumstance or life event. Different theologians have different ideas, but just honestly, the text is not clear as to what it connects to. but that's actually okay for us today. Because what I want to do is I want to take a moment to try to put ourselves in the shoes of David. Knowing that he felt great distress and we just don't know what the distress was. I want us to feel the weight of his suffering and of his heartache. And then I think we will see And learn some things about how we can respond in our own life. So in the first three verses we get this picture that David, he's actually trying not to speak so he doesn't sin. I think that's application point number one for all of us. Just shut up sometimes. He's saying, if I open my mouth I might sin against the Lord so I'm keeping it shut. It's not really one of my points but it's just so applicable to my own life. There seems to be something going on in the life of David that's causing him to want to speak up or speak out in a way that might not honor the Lord. Maybe it's in a complaining heart or maybe it's in in arrogance or pride. Um, We see one thing he says there is he's in the presence of the wicked. He doesn't want to sin. So there's this desire to be a good witness and honor the Lord even among them. But it's in verse two, where we begin to feel the weight of what is going on in David, once again, without knowing the exact circumstances. Verse 2 says, I was mute and silent, I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Have you ever felt like this before? Like have you ever felt this that life was so heavy, so hard, so overwhelming and you didn't know what to do with it that it kind of just tore you up from the inside? Have you ever felt that heaviness? That heartache? Well, as I said earlier, we don't know what it is that's causing this to come about in the life of David. But a quick uh, run through of what his life looked like gives us plenty of reasons that he might feel this way. Sure, he was anointed to be king at a young age, but he spent much of his young life running for his life because Saul, the ruling king, wanted to murder him. His best friend, Jonathan, dies in battle. He faces consequences for his own sin in the loss of his son. And then his own son, Absalom, grows up, gathers people around him to try to dethrone his own dad. Can you imagine? He had plenty of reasons to feel overwhelmed. So if you can just for a moment put yourselves in David's shoes. Feel what he feels when he says, my heart became hot within me. The fire burned you can imagine the feeling of distress that David is walking in. So let me ask you, what what is it in your life that's leaving you feeling overwhelmed today? What's causing the fear, the anxiety, the stress that you can't seem to overcome? Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's requiring way too much of you or maybe you need one. Maybe it's health issues. It could be ongoing issues or maybe even a permanent health issue that you're having to wrestle through. There are people we've had to say goodbye to way too early. And then there's those people in your life that you love dearly, but you're watching them run away from the Lord and leave shrapnel in your family and in your friends. I don't know what it is. But it's in these moments where we tend to ask the question, does, this, does anything actually matter? Does life actually matter? Is there purpose to my life? And I just want to answer that really quickly. Yes. There's purpose in your life. There's purpose in your suffering. There is purpose. But what do we do with this? How does David respond when he's feeling overwhelmed? And Here's what I want to do this morning. I think we can recognize that that David is overwhelmed when he's writing this. But I think what we see is we see a number of ways that, that David responds in his suffering and in his circumstances that can help us today if we'll just take them to heart and start practicing them. So the first thing that is is, is so, so simple, but it's often overlooked. If we want to respond to our suffering in a way that honors the Lord and that, that is helpful, we just simply need to voice our distress to the Lord. We need to take our feeling of being overwhelmed and of not being able to handle what is on our plate and take it to the Lord. Cry out to him, bring it to him. After everything David considers, and when he feels like he's going to explode, he turns to God and brings his distress to him. Verse 3 ends like this. It says, And then I spoke with my tongue, O Lord. And the rest of this psalm is David crying out to the Lord in the midst of these circumstances. We must not skip over the fact that David turns to God in this moment. Let me confess to you where I tend to fail in this. When I'm struggling and when I'm overwhelmed with, with life circumstances, when I feel like I can't see straight, often the first place I turn to is not to God, it's to other people. You might be similar, maybe you're not. But I'm so quick to run to others to to get some sort of sympathy or, or prayer or wisdom before I've ever looked to the Lord and said, God, I'm in trouble. I need help. Will you help me? We make a beeline to other people or we try to sedate ourselves with entertainment. We turn to all of these other avenues when all the while we've got the God of the universe listening and ready to hear us. Once again, I'll I'll be the first to tell you, I do this way too often. Instead of looking up, I look around. Instead of looking up, I look down. The first thing we got to do when we're overwhelmed by our suffering is take it to the one who hears. And he's the only one that can truly do something about it. There's no doubt in my mind that scriptures are clear that the local church is supposed to be a burden-bearing family. So I'm not discouraging you from taking uh, your struggles, your suffering to your church family, to people for prayer and for help. But here's what I'm saying. Don't go there before you go there. Don't turn to those people before you, you voice your distress to the Lord. Because he's listening. He wants to hear you. Cry out to him. I feel that we as Christians are often too quick to either complain or or, or speak out loud in the guise of looking for prayer or counsel rather than properly lamenting to God and seeking his help. I've done it a billion times. And what that usually means in my own heart and my life is I'm actually more confident in myself and in other people than I am in God. What does that say about how I see God? If in that moment where I'm most overwhelmed, I actually don't turn to him, I turn to someone else. You see, David allowed his inward wrestling, his heartache, the hard things going on in his life to turn him to the Lord. To cry out to the Lord. It is always appropriate in humility to cry out to the Lord in our suffering. Always appropriate. He wants to hear you. But we only do this. This is where it's hard. We only do this when we're convinced God loves us and cares about us. William Plummer uh, has this great book on the Psalms. And I wanted to read a little section from uh, from it for you. Uh, He says, Extended reflection... On any of the great matters relating to God's government of the world will awaken strong emotion. But if our thoughts and hearts are right, the more we are aroused, the more we will be inclined to carry our cause to the Lord. So what that's saying is if we truly understand who God is, if we consider his role in uh, history and in our lives, we will be quick to turn to him because we know he listens He cares, and he helps. So friends, ask yourself this question this morning. Are you quick in your suffering to turn to the Lord rather than something else? Are you quicker to complain to a a brother or sister? Are you quicker to fill your life with stuff I confess, and I'll say it again, I'm quick to go other places. And the Lord has convicted me this week that I need to remember when it is hard, I need to look up. When it is hard, I need to look to Jesus. And I need to take my burdens to him. So simple, yet so hard. But that's not the only thing we see David doing here in Psalm 39, to wrestle through his heartache and through his pain The second thing I think we can do if we want to wrestle well is we get to consider our life in light of eternity. We get to consider our life in light of eternity. I'm going to read off a few phrases that you see in verses 4 through 6 about how David uh, talks about our life as humans. He says, we are fleeting. Our days are a few handbreadths. Our lifetime is nothing to you. We're a mere breath. We're a shadow. And then in verse 12, it says, we're a sojourner and a guest. You see, David turns to the Lord, and then he starts to consider the brevity of his own life as he's wrestling with his suffering. He actually asks the Lord to help him understand and remember how short his life is in light of eternity. So we have to understand this. Even if we live to be 100 years old, our life is still fleeting. It is short. It is a mere breath compared with eternity. See, one of the biggest reasons I think we struggle uh, in our suffering, and, and it's hard. I'm not making light of suffering. Is we fail to understand and remember that, that this life is just a passing through point. That even our suffering is momentary because eternity is coming for us. And we have eternity. As Christians, we have eternity with God to look forward to. When we don't look at, at things like this, it's like our life has like blinders on it where we, can't, we can only look in one direction. And so when there are things in our life, it's, it's like we, we just focus in on that. and We just can't, we can't look anywhere else. But when we consider eternity, when we consider our life is short compared to eternity that allows us to take the blinders off to look around and get a clearer perspective on this world. It's all over scripture. This idea of our life is brief. Eternity is coming. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about our bodies as tents or temporary dwellings. It says they're fleeting. reminding us that that we have somewhere we're going. This is just a stopping point. James 1 calls for perseverance in the midst of suffering, but what he sets as the prize is eternity with God. He says, look to that and you can endure. And Psalm 39, 12, like I said just a moment ago, it actually says, we are sojourners and guests. We are not, this is not eternity for us right here. There is an eternity coming. So as we remember these simple truths, About life and eternity, our blinders can be removed. And let me just be real honest with you, that doesn't necessarily mean that suffering is easier. Friends, what I'm not saying and what I don't think this text is saying is if you'll just do these things, it'll be easy. It's not what it's saying. But if we'll do these things, we can persevere. We can persevere in our faith if we'll do these things. God will help us. God will help you persevere if we will do these things. But there's something else I want to draw your attention to here. It was a little subtle when I was studying and working through this, but look at verse 6 because David draws our attention to something that I think is good for us as Christians, particularly here in America, to consider. Verse 6 says, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather it. David actually chooses to remind us that much of the turmoil caused in this world is when we build our life on things that won't last. He says, Heaping up riches. Some of us turn in our suffering quickly to stuff. We we try to sedate ourselves with stuff rather than turning to the Lord, rather than considering eternity. And, and David's just trying to remind you and remind me that that never works, that that will not satisfy you, that won't fix the hurt in your heart to get you a nicer house, a better car, uh, more money in your emergency fund. Those things, they can be helpful, but they will not deal with the hurt in your life. They will not fill in that gap that only Jesus can, can fill. So some of you might be thinking right now, Ryan, if life is short and I know that it's hard, (laughs) how is that helpful? (laughs) How does that help me weather this storm? Well, first, since life is short, your suffering is short. And it may not feel like it right now because this is all we're in, but if life is short, so is your suffering. There is a day coming when all of it is gone. There's a day coming where every tear will be gone. Every sin struggle will be gone. No more sickness, no more death. It is coming. So since our life is short, so is our suffering. But here's another thing I want you to consider, because I think this is what the Lord would have us do when we look at all of scripture. When we understand life is short, it helps us view our suffering differently, but it's also a call to action today. Because if life is short, our opportunities are short as well. That there are people around you every day who need to hear about Jesus. And since life is short, there's work to do. There's work we get to do as we proclaim Jesus to the world. Here in Northern Kentucky, at your jobs, at your schools, uh, in your neighborhood, If life is short, we can persevere through circumstances that are hard, but it also helps us move to action rather than apathy. God would not call you just to to move towards apathy and say, well, if life is short, then I guess I'll just kick up my legs and wait for the end to come. No, since life is short, we go after the world. And by that, I just mean we go after people who need to hear about Jesus that's why we pursue ministry here in Northern Kentucky. That's why we're sending people all over the world. That's why we care about missions. It's because life is short and people need to hear about Jesus. So allow, friends, and f- the, the, allow the brevity of life to move you to action rather than apathy so we can say in times of great sorrow and in times of great suffering, we have the opportunity to look to Jesus, to voice our distress, to bring our hurt to a God who cares. We get to consider our life in eternity, in light of eternity, which is really helpful for us today. At high school camp, our, our theme was brand new. And in the evenings, we consider a brand new past, present, and future, what God does when he makes us brand new. And by far... One of the lessons that stood out to most students is when we spent time talking about our new eternity. So many of my students came to me and said, I've never thought about it like that. You know, it's not just me playing a harp and singing songs the rest of my life, like the rest of eternity. No, thank you, Jesus. It's not. He said eternity is going to be great. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to be with God in his presence forever. It's going to be better than anything you can imagine. We're going to do a lot of singing, but we're going to do other stuff as well. And for my students, as they, they wrestled with their own hearts, as they heard about this, they were challenged to think differently. They were challenged to consider, if eternity is that great, how should that affect my today? And friends, that's what I, I just want to recommend to you this morning is if, if you're stuck, I sometimes call it like in a funk, where you can't think clearly, where, where you're so overwhelmed with a very, very hard things, consider looking to eternity. Consider even studying what heaven's going to be like to stir up some affections and some hope in your soul. Because when we look up, And towards eternity, our suffering is still hard, but we get a proper perspective on it. That it is short because life is short. So we voice our distress to the Lord. We consider eternity, our life in light of eternity. But there's something else that I think we see here in this text. That we actually must repent of our sin. Repent of our sin. And like, why, how did you get to that? Like, why is that a point in what you're talking about? Well, thankfully it's because it's a point in God, God's word here. So let's look at it at verse eight through 11. It says, deliver me from all of my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. So we cannot miss this, but I I will unpack this for you. David is attributing at least some of his suffering to God disciplining him for his sin. That's why he says the phrases, for it is you who have done it. He says, remove your stroke. He says, the hostility of your hand He says, discipline a man with rebukes for sin. As David laments to the Lord, he's connecting some of what is going on in his life to his own sin. I wanna be very clear before we unpack this with you this morning. What is being taught here is not that any bit of suffering in your life is because of your sin. That is not what I'm saying this morning and that's not what Psalm 39 is saying I don't want anyone leaving here going on a sin hunt, looking at your neighbor and saying, well, there's really hard things going on in your life and acting like Job's friends and saying, well, it's because of something you did. I don't want anybody leaving here and thinking like that. But I also can't get past the idea that David connects some of his own suffering to discipline from the Lord for his sin. So here's what we know. According to God's word, David confesses his sin. He connects it to how the Lord is disciplining him. And this, friends, is not a foreign concept in scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to show you just for a moment that this is not foreign, that this is not something just David says and moves on. This is actually something we see throughout scripture that God actually disciplines his kids, his people. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, reads like this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what is, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly fathers who disciplined us and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines those he loves, those he cares. Those are his. Friends, you might need to consider today if there are things going on in your life that it's actually God's pruning, God's disciplining to help you know Jesus better. To help you love him more. Now, my guess is there's another question rumbling around in your head right now. Is how do we know if it's suffering or discipline? Like how do we know which one it is? Well, (laughs) that's a really good question. (laughs) That's a really good question that actually there's no easy answer to. But here's the best part. We actually may not know whether it's one or the other in our life. We actually may not know. But the best part is that repentance is never a wrong action in our life. So, whether it's discipline or suffering because of this sin cursed world, it actually doesn't matter because repentance is always good, it is always right. There's never a time where God shows us our sin, where we bring it to him and ask for forgiveness and are reminded of the great truth of the gospel and we ask him to help us change and be a new creation in this area. There's no time when that's wrong. There's no time where that is not a good thing, where that is not a helpful thing. We don't always need to know whether it's one or the other because repentance is always a good thing. 500 years ago, This year, the great reformer Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. It was a theological treatise that included many, many things. But the first point in his 95 Theses, the first thing that he was wanting to put forth in front of the church in Germany was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Let me read that again. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So what does that tell us? Repentance is always right. Repentance is always good. And we see here in Psalm 39 that David freely confessing and repenting for his sin because he knows he has drawn a connection, at least to some of his suffering. So, repentance is always a good move. Our life as Christians should be characterized by repentance. So, is it suffering or discipline? I'm not sure that it matters. Repentance is always good. Does that make sense? Like, there's never a wrong time to bring our hurt and to bring uh, our sin, particularly, to the Lord for forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon uh, was talking about this particular text in Psalm 39. I'm going to read a lengthy portion from you or for you. I think it's in your bulletin so you can follow along with me if you'd like. But hear how he talks about this idea of repentance in Psalm 39. How fair a sign it is when the psalmist no longer harps upon his sorrows but begs freedom from his sin. What is sorrow when compared with sin? Let but the poison of sin be gone from my cup and we need not fear its gall for the bitter will act medicinally. None can deliver a man from his transgressions but the blessed one who is called Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. And when he once works his great deliverance for a man from the cause, the consequences are sure to disappear too. The thorough cleansing desired is well worthy of note. To be saved from some transgressions would be a small benefit. Total and perfect deliverance is needed. In verse 8, David says, deliver me from all of my transgressions. His cry to the Lord is a repentant heart. Repentance is always good, always beneficial, always right. And so once again, I want to remind you what I said. Just because they're suffering does not mean it's the discipline of the Lord. But when we consider what is going on in our life and when we're interacting with the Lord over our great hurt, it is never wrong to confess sin and seek forgiveness. It's never wrong. So we get to voice our distress to the Lord. We get to consider our life in eternity. We get to repent because it's always good. And then lastly, we get to confess our trust in God. This was actually uh, the turning point in this text for me at verse 7. He says something so simple and yet so profound. He says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. In the middle of this psalm of lament where he's overwhelmed with what is going on in his life, he, he stops for a moment and says, where, what am I waiting for? You are my only hope. This is where we need to land in our hearts in the midst of suffering. We need to turn our hearts towards trusting God even when it's hard. Hard. William Plummer summarized it well in that book on the Psalms where he said, in the darkest times that visit us, the great source of hope and joy and success still remains to all who have any true piety. God never dies, never retires behind clouds so dark that faith and hope and love cannot apprehend him. God is not far from you in your trouble. God is not playing a a grand game of hide and seek with you. He is near. Now I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know sometimes it feels like he's far away. But that's your emotions lying to you. That's Satan trying to convince you of something that is not true. God is near to you, Christian. If you love Jesus and you are his, he is right there. I don't know every circumstance and piece of suffering in this room. In fact, if I did, I'd probably just curl up and die. There is heavy things in this room. The ones I know make me sometimes not want to get out of bed. Some of you are going through incredibly difficult things right now. Some of you are in the middle of a significant health issue with no end in sight. Some of you are in the middle of a job struggle that seems to consume all of your life and you can't seem to see clearly. Some of you are in the midst of some very hard parenting struggles. Some of you are being persecuted for your faith at your school, or at your work. Some of you are in the middle of a significant sin battle where it feels like sin always wins and you never do. And some of you have watched your loved ones run away from the Lord. There's loads of hard things going on in here. But if you hear one thing from me today, if you forget everything that I've already said, hear this. God is not far off. God has not hidden himself from you, Christian. You can trust him. He is the only one that you can hope in. Christian, you have By the nature of being a Christian, trusted in Jesus for your eternity. If you've trusted in him for your eternity, I guarantee you he can take care of you today. If you think about what you've trusted him with, that that when when Jesus returns and he takes everybody, uh, and and we stand before our Father and, and we're having to consider our sin, Jesus is saying, that one is mine you're trusting that jesus is going to say mine paid for taken care of at the cross then he can take care of your today our life is short our suffering feels overwhelming but he's got you he's got you he's got you in these moments where we are overwhelmed we need to confess our trust in the Lord. And I want you to know, sometimes that's confessing something we're not believing on the inside. This week after camp, um, when I come home from camp, there's all these crazy highs, exciting things that happen in camp, but there's this like low-level depression that comes when I come home. I'm serious, I'm just be honest with you. So this week, as I'm trying to get ready to preach, like there was one day I'm driving to work and saying, Emotions, you're not winning this battle today. God, I trust you. You are good. I know this to be true. I'm speaking to myself something that I'm not feeling in the moment. We say a lot around here that that our emotions make a great caboose. They're an awful engine. We don't want to let our emotions run us. So sometimes in that moment where we're not feeling that trust, we're we're not feeling that confidence, the best thing we need to do is start saying it. And saying it over and over again. You sing it out loud. You write it down. You put something on that's going to remind you of it. Because as I was driving to work, I wanted to, I didn't want to give up. But like I I was feeling awful. And it was nothing big. So it doesn't compare to many of the suffering that you guys are walking through right now. But I felt this low level depression where I just kind of wanted to cry. I wanted to turn around and just get back in bed. And I just had to say, Jesus, you are trustworthy. You are good. You've got work for me to do today. Help me, Lord, to focus on you when all I want to do is do something else. So sometimes when we turn to God and we need to confess he is good, we need to confess that he's our only hope, sometimes we do it. Often we do it when we don't feel it. But it's amazing what God can do if we'll relentlessly confess truth, what God will do in our own hearts, what God will do as we're sitting in the quiet uh, of our living room or in our car, how God will work if we will go after those truths. Don't ever let your flesh or don't ever let Satan convince you that because of your suffering, your life has no purpose. You are greatly loved, Christian. Your father loved you so much to send his own son. Jesus willingly walked to the cross on your behalf. You have purpose, but your circumstances do not define your purpose. God does. So when we consider what do we do when we 're overwhelmed when, when life feels like it has no meaning or no purpose, when we don 't want to move on, we can voice this to the Lord. We can consider our life. When it comes to eternity. We can repent of our sin. Because that's always a good response. And we can confess our hope. And our trust in the Lord. Even when we don't feel it friends. In a few moments. We're actually going to. Practice number four together. And sing a song that reminds us. That he is our greatest hope. But before we sing, I actually want to give you guys just a few minutes to walk through this in the quiet of your own heart. So when I I talk about suffering or hard things or or that feeling of being overwhelmed, what is it that comes to your mind? I want you to grab that, whatever it is. Whatever that thing is that that, that threatens to overwhelm you and make you want to give up. And I'm gonna give you a few moments to walk through this right here in the quiet of your own heart. I want you to take that to the Lord. I want you to consider your life in light of eternity. If the Lord brings any any sin to your mind, confess it, repent, and, and see the freedom we have in Jesus. And then in your own heart, confess to the Lord how good and mighty and righteous he is and how he's worthy of being Trust it. So just bow your heads, take a few moments. I'm going to be quiet and take your burden to the Lord.